Good morning, Ali. Good morning, Ben. <laughs> um, that's great to have you with me in the show today. So thank you. And great to be here. Great to be here. My first podcast. So thanks. So yeah, much. you get it. You, you, you. It just. I hope you like the experience, and that will not be your last. Um, um, so just to give our audience a bit of introduction of who you are. So you are a, a customer. I can call you customer service savvy, right? It's like you. You've made a good career on customer services. Um, and 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 you currently a sales representative of, in in Atrosum, if I pronounce it correctly, because I kind of tried to pay attention like how it's pronounced. Um, yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. And 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 I also can't forget that you have made a career in music too, which is I'd like to touch upon that. So, um, great having you today with me, um, uh, Ali. So, um, off to the first elements in here, and obviously that's would be a customer centricity. It's like, okay, so what is that, right? It's like, and 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 how the what the best way to measure it? Sure, I, I guess um, measurement is is an interesting one. I think that's that's case by case and customer by customer, right? But this is the whole point, and and my belief and and in, in my in my experience is whatever value you have as an organization, as a person, um, you know as a talent, whatever it is, has to be geared towards, you know, your customer on an individual basis, whether it's an individual at a company, an individual as part of a bigger organization or, you know, an individual on their own. It really has to gear towards their problems and their needs. And it's, I think it's going above and beyond to make sure whatever you're doing can fit with what they need. For me, that's it. So it's not anymore, right? Especially after COVID, it's not anymore how the customers are satisfied about product that you you you're putting in the market, but it's more about the relationship behind that, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the relationship behind that product, the the kind of um, the empathy and the understanding for perhaps what that customer is facing or you know problems they're dealing with. Um, the product and the and and the service and the value is obviously important, but I think it's it's having that communication where you clearly understand what they need. They know you understand what they need and together you can work through to find the right solution. It's about partnership, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So talking about COVID and this is a thing, a big thing happened in not only for our private life, but for businesses as well that we work for, that was a hell of a mess. And and it, it's entirely changed the, the rules of the game. And, and so I'm curious, like, what's your experience during 2019 when, you know, the shit hit the fan? And can you share some lessons? Like, how, did you, like, uh, had some customers calling you, oh, my God, now is my product will be delivered on time? Or what's going on with you guys and, you know, all the panic around that? Yeah, great question. You know, it was, it was like you described it exactly right. A, a messy time, right, where I think the whole world was scrambling to figure out, you know, how do we cope as individuals? How do we cope as organizations? Um, and I think the commonality here is everybody was in that same boat, you know, regardless if you're on the, the customer side or the company side, whatever. Um, I genuinely think, like, there was a big uh, shift to trust in internal teams. You know, everybody started to work remote. Everybody started had to take what they were doing normally in an office perhaps and, and really do that, um, you know, quite independently at times. And I think what we saw and, and what I saw was, you know, building and having trust in your internal teams to, you know, to do their jobs and to be the, you know, the talent you hired. 
and in return the customers and that customer experience would benefit as a result so i think again it's just about again building that trust not just on your internal company but with the customer again and i think everybody was in the same boat then so like there was that shared empathy you know everybody was moving to zoom everybody was trying to work remote and figure that figure that tricky problem out um i'd like to drill on that deeper because i've I've lived that experience where is our suppliers start they had the panic them so because that all of the supply chain along the way maybe that's kind of less relevant to a tech company like rossum but do you have kind of you started also like customers talking to you and you talking to your supplier, whomever, the, or your part, implementation partner, for example, right? Or if you have an, on, an, a contractor and development team, is like how, how that worked out. All of this chains down to the last person on the line. Mm. How, how, how that played out? I'm just, this is kind of what I'm curious about and all time ask people. What, how, what, how that been handled? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think during that time, I was uh, mainly sort of on the, the outbound customer facing side. So, I think for us, it was the focus was on just ensuring clear lines of communication you know, at all times. Um, everybody likes to work in different communication channels. For me, I think it's really important that you you make the effort to communicate where people like to you know like to communicate. You know, everybody's different. It could be LinkedIn, email. You know, it could be on the phone. Um, and I think it's about working towards that individual that individual person, right? So the process you're describing for me isn't as familiar for the you know for our company, but what I just saw was keeping open lines of communication and constant kind of um, support there on not just the, you know, our internal side, but also on the, the customer side as well, the external part. Okay. So, so the relation with customers and the communication with them certainly have shifted right from mm. before COVID to today and maybe still kind of evolving right it's like okay if you step back right now and see how it was before and what is it today what what kind of the highlights you can mention yeah i think it's, it's an interesting one um i think I'm, I'm interested to see what happens happens next but I, I think everything got much more dynamic right everyone was um finding new ways to you know have these have these relationships because you know whether you customer relationships are extremely crucial and 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 typically i think you know we would meet in person or you would you would make that effort but we had to go above and beyond to figure out you know how can we make this work you know remotely through through, through your zooms through your teams you know, through your slacks whatever it is um so i saw it got much more dynamic um we had to be a bit more sort of understanding and and i think actually be more prepared for taking the process slightly uh, slightly slower and figuring figuring it out together Again, Ben, you mentioned partnership, and I think it comes back to that. You know, we're all kind of figuring out how this could work with COVID, with years to come, without COVID, hopefully at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and 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 within that, you know, frame of relation between you know the business and the customers, the customer centricity, and all of that. I worked in an organization where is has been a huge disconnect between and this is before covid even disconnect mm -hmm. between the sales guys and then the ones who are supposed to work in the product mm -hmm. developing it and so on adding functionality and, and what have you so maybe reflecting in rossum how that's line of communication between you know operational teams that develop the product in the floor and then you guys in the sale in the front you know front front seat 
facing the clients, how that's internally been bridged. Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind I'm conscious that's much easier than in the past because you could walk into your colleague next to the desk or you're having, you know, brainstorming in the same meeting rooms and or even listening to the calls with the clients. So that's kind of mine easier. But how that evolved in in, in in an all hybrid work environment or remote sometimes work environment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a really crucial crucial topic and again it comes back to clear lines of communication and I think also company style and approaches right and and not not every company is able to make perhaps do what we did and I can only speak from our experience and we have a very open culture where you know you're able to communicate with not just uh, you know the C-level the management but members of other teams and I think what we've worked quite hard to do is have continuous and kind of constant connections with those teams that are sideways to us so yeah it could be product development or pre-sales engineering or the customer success teams you know really we do have very regular interaction with these teams we had this before the pandemic but also we're still doing this now you know while people are more remote or hybrid working um and this is something brought in as an organization as a whole and i think it's crucial that this comes from the top down and is supported um because it promotes that culture of sharing ideas and um, you know your company working together to the common goal, which is helping the customer, right? So if we can't communicate internally, communicating that value to the customer externally is is even more sort of tricky. So we make that a priority. It's all it's all culture centered approach, right? That we got, yeah. we all we all we all service the same client. It's not we sales that get our numbers good and you guys mm-hmm. cannot deliver and and it's a win situation, absolutely the opposite, right? Absolutely. Um, all right. So Rossum is doing automations for back office, and we're going to talk about it a bit more later, uh, back office um, transactions. I all the time, I, I'm, I'm doing transformation, as you know, Ali. So I all the time curious, like how, <clears throat> how much could be automated in back office processes? It's a very good question. I think this is, this is the kind of the, the north star that everyone's working towards, right? Trying to figure out what can what can be automated, you know, what do we still need humans for in that loop? What is a value, you know, value-added task and what isn't? It's it's a it's a really crucial topic. I think from from our point of view, we work in obviously the, the document communication space, and and for us, you know, we 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 think documentation should be something that that can be automated, and if there is needed for a human to be there. It's you know absolutely minimal, and it's the crucial part of the task. It's not the you know, the boring part of the task. Mm. You know why I'm asking these questions because usually when you do, which is follow up in that questions, like all the time you got that you know alternative or choices for the businesses. Say, I read a, either build option A, build entire robotic teams in house, develop all of these solutions. Option B got my external providers build that for me and maybe even implementing implementation partners come and do it for me with the minimal you know efforts on my side mm-hmm. c building on my shared service center which is i think is useful because you got scalability in there so instead of having 10 sites you get only one you roll out your solution with mm-hmm. it, either option a or b that's regardless and then three or four actually oh, I am going to just throw the entire things in, in outsourcing BBO. They're going to handle whether they automate it, whether or not. I don't care, but I have a contractual agreement with them. So that's why kind of my, my questions are, is there is really in the market a benchmark saying documentation process that could be 100% automated? Definitely could be. 
yeah, I think 100% is, you know, it's an interesting metric. Everyone will measure that, you know, very differently. I, I think, in short, yeah, it could be. But I think what you what you mentioned, which is key, is there's four or five different options here for you know, every organization, big or small. Um, and, and typically, it's going to suit each organization differently, which which method you choose. We're lucky as a, you know, as a tech company operating in this space, we we can work with all of those scenarios. You know, we have value that can be added there, but that's besides the point. The point here is, you know, is it scalable? Does it suit your business model? Does it suit your plans for the next two, three, ten years? Um, and if and if so, how can how can something like what we do fit in with that journey? You know, we don't want to be changing the status quo crazily. You know, that's that's hard enough. Some of these companies are enormous and put in huge effort to to be where they're at. So we don't want to go in there tearing apart the infrastructure. We want to fit with what's best for that business and help add value along the way. But in short, I think documentation is something that could be um, automated to levels we don't even know yet. I'm curious, Arnie, and and, and now I've, I've heard it depends on, I worked with vendors, right, for solutions. Mm. And what got my attention, some of the vendor, they would stand up for you and stand up, actually, not for you, but yeah, stand up for you, but saying, no, what you're saying is a nonsense. That's mm. not scalable for you. We could make it for you but that might break down the road or they're going to tell you, well, there's a prerequisite for this solution to reach an optimum stage of, you know, ROI, for example, say so you got to do, I don't know, get rid of your bespoke processes. So you got to mm-hmm. do a bit of standardization before we come in or mm-hmm. they say, well, let's not go a big bang, just do a you know, phased out approach. It's like, I'm curious, like how you, how you do that in Rossum basically. Yeah, I think, you know, it sounds like what you're describing there, is, you know, is the two pronged approach, the, the two issues we see, which is control of the automation and how that affects the scale of it. You know, it could add value for six months to a year, but what happens you know, in two, three years when you scale up, you know, does, does the system break? And the other one is, as you mentioned, do you need infrastructure in place already for us to come in and, and derive value? And I think we're solving both of those challenges because we, we, we effectively on the automation side, we're going to give you value, but we're going to give you the keys to control and have access to how that scales in a way that's not going to demand huge resources because we don't want to be a, a partner that just has six months to 12 months value. We want to be a, you know, a key strategic partner for, for those issues for years to come as you change infrastructure, as you change processes, um, as the company changes as an organism as well. Um, and then sort of on the former side, the infrastructure side, we understand the nature of you know enterprise landscapes it's a it's a complex beast um and we don't want to you know make demands where you're having to crazily change that we want to plug into what's there already and kind of exist with those um those roads that are there and bring value to to those kind of systems um and then what happens in the middle is is the ross of magic but yeah i won't bore you guys with that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right so uh talking about rossum so actually what's it actually what what the solution does can you walk me through that yeah absolutely i guess um yeah i mean the easiest way to explain it without going into all the, the marketing jargon is um we're using artificial intelligence to communicate documents so we started four years ago as um a very agile ai uh, i guess ocr component is a way to describe it and we were focusing on financials and our, you know, our key value there was being able to automate a document, regardless of it change layout, change look and feel, you know, day to day, week to week. Um, and then four or five years on, we're now solving those challenges you mentioned, which is 
not just very successful document automation and data extraction, regardless of the use case. Um, we're actually combining this with a platform that is scalable because it's basically any end user could navigate it, use it, and could control the automation. But we're able to exist with you know infrastructures that are there. We, I guess, the easiest analogy is, you know, if you wanted to get the world to use electric cars, right? It'd be great if we could just click a switch and everybody in the world had them. But we need the infrastructure in place first. Every, you know, all the roads would need to be changed, uh, all the sort of charging points, etc., would need to be there. And if you wanted to bring that in, every country is going to have their own needs, requirements. Every locale will have something different that is that is needed, and it just wouldn't be scalable or achievable, right? So we're seeing the same thing with document automation, which is regardless of which company you are, big, small, um, global, whatever, all your documents are very different to the next. So we want to be an agnostic approach where we just sit in front of your landscape, basically translate the documents. And the cool stuff on top is like having the AI do all kinds of communication and data referencing, data matching, bits and bobs. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, a, sorry, but I'm a, num a number guy. Is this kind of an, a success rate or like an, an error margin on the solutions, meaning that it, will, it would fail to handle the task and then you've got to have a team to handle that manually as, as per the target operating model or the, the operating model? they have yeah i guess it, it operates on a, a confidence level right so when the ai is confident it automates what it what it's confident on per field per line item however you want to define it again we give you the keys to that that roadmap um but yeah as you mentioned if it's unclear on something and we can't you know can't process that part of the document or you know, the next step can't be triggered a human is brought into the loop in a way that's very user-friendly and you know a matter of seconds to quickly validate Okay, so it's like it's like a kind of an interface that the user look at, and which is where you handle all of your operational things, and then in the back end of that, will just handle all of the um, whatever communication channels you've got in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Documents in, data out, and what happens in the middle is a is the AI stuff, the AI magic, which is is not something I know enough about, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so so. Why anyone would go with Rossums? Like, what was the key differentiations versus other competitors in the market? And we know they kind of like a, there's more and more because they, you know, how you call it, entry barriers low in the tech age. So, why anyone would go with you? Yeah, absolutely. Again, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of different solutions offering different value in this space. Um, I think if you just look at a document data extraction value, the, the core of the the platform, what the AI is doing day to day. Um, super accurate, super easy to retrain on, on new document types. So that is the core, you know, that's where you're going to get the core value. But again, I think it comes back to the scale of the, of the thing, right? We're going to give you something that can work with your current systems, the systems you could have in two years, the systems you could have in 10 years. And we're giving you the keys to it. I think in a world now with, with Corona and you name it happening, everybody has control to their, their success, right? Everybody can be you know, a, you know, an e-commerce guru by having Facebook Marketplace and you can be using, you know, Amazon to do the same thing. And it's, TikTok is now a huge thing where people can become influencers and, you know, bloggers, and whatever. Everybody has control over that process. And we've been seeing, I think, in the, in the sort of the document processing space, um, control of the automation, control of scale is often not handed over as readily. And we take the opposite. We want to give you guys not just the Ferrari, but the keys, you know, under the hood and, you know, access to the engine to control it for years, years to come. 
Okay, so I'm curious, is there an element of performance management on top of that could be implemented? Meaning, um, I assume, you know, the solution is, is just a step on the whole process map, right? It's just mm-hmm. to all handle that operations. But if you want to have, say, dashboards on top of that, say, performance management to understand, for example, what's the exceptions rate, for example, mm-hmm. like the, the kind of documentation that we receive that they're not really fitting in kind of a, a, a standard of a target operating model. And then I would know exactly what I need to work in my processes just to maximize on my profit in terms of how much I have invested in implementing Ross and Stool, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we have we have that all kind of baked in. Again, we can connect with we play nice with all the enterprise systems, right? You're, you know, it could be your Power BI tools, your ERPs, your RPA bots, whatever. Again, as you mentioned, very easy to track, not just what we see uh, you know, as common trackers and metrics, but if you if you you as a business have key SLAs, KPIs that you want to track within Rossum that are related to performance and document turnaround, perhaps vendor patterns, um, very easy to do so. Very interesting. Um, thanks, Ali, for the briefing. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious right now about your career in music. So, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> well, and, and, and can I find anything in, I don't know, in any, anywhere to listen to? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I can touch on it. It's uh, I, Thanks for defining it as a career. It's very flattering. I, I guess in brief, what I was doing before uh, moving here to Prague, I was, I was based in the UK and um, I was doing music production. So I did, you know, a lot of composing, recording, writing, um, as well as work, you know, in, in various bands and, you know, as a as an instrumentalist as well. Um, I taught music, you know, in a number of settings, mainly in the healthcare, you know, mental health care settings um, and rehabilitation, which was an interesting experience. It's kind of, again, very customer centric, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but yeah, most recently I was, you know, writing music for production albums. So basically you're creating music that can be used uh, as content for you know, TV, um, commercials, in the background to shows. Um, yeah. Can I, can I get one for me for, for the break podcast? You tell me and then Ben, that's, you, I'm going to charge you for it. <laughs> so you yeah, get yeah. the buy, you have to pay for it. I'm okay yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a check and the music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is really interesting because you know I have I have friends he he I lived in I lived in France for 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 a period of time and I got two friends who who they are musicians, mm-hmm. but they are I've got the impression they are introverted people and they kind of they're finding a relief on playing their own music. Yeah. One is was a bia- piano and the other one was um, a violin, I think. But yeah, yes. And this is why it's kind of, when I found that, I say, okay, how how Ali combine both, you know, extrovert personality, customer centricity requires that, right? Mm-hmm. And then being a, a musician and playing, you know, doing music career and how this came together. I'm just curious, like, how? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think that's, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there where, where um, for me, I am, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sort of more extroverted person, right? And, um, you know, if you're spending most of your day working, working with others and helping others and trying to build that, you know, those relationships, often there's not much time in the day for, you know, for you, you and yourself. And for me, 
music became most recently has become a form of kind of i don't know um what's the word meditation i guess where it's something just for me you know i can concentrate on it i can craft it and build it and it's something that i can focus on um which is actually why i don't do as much of it anymore sort of publicly or openly because it's it serves a better purpose for me that way um but yeah that's you've hit the nail on the head you know it is it's kind of yin and yang right whatever you do outwards you need occasionally the bit that is yours and the inward bit <laughs> exactly exactly that, that's why when i went to your profile and it is oh musician that's kind of not the profile that i would have typically expect from you know a person that made a very very good career and you know customer services mm -hmm. um so that's why i'm asking the question actually another one ali is just like okay there's this hype of nfts which has got my reservation on it do you would you ever consider do a piece of music on an nft and sure. sell it yeah i'm open to anything like i honestly first podcast why not? Why not try and do a music <laughs> NFT? <laughs> I have no idea how that works, Ben. You have to you have to help me with that. But no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I was reading stuff last night, and then I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I'm not. A, I'm a, a tech pro person, but find it hard for me to understand how I a picture of certain number of pixels of a whale mm -hmm. um, would be sold five figures. Like, yeah. it, to me, I could not see it despite all of the people try to explain it basically but, mm -hmm. but it, maybe it's the next next thing next big things like the internet right so who knows <laughs> i'd be interested i would be interested to see it move you know more into the music realm i know for you know, for artists it's been a key thing because you know it's a often been a more undervalued art form you know a lot of people get taken advantage of in the art world and you know don't make as much money and stuff and this i think nfts have been a real way for people to you know, be, be rewarded for that value. It's an amazing skill. And I think it's a really cool, cool concept. No, it, it is. And, and, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's, I think it has a value if it's uh, for um, music, for mm. authors, for, you know, intellectual properties. I, I get the value behind it, which is I totally agree with you because certain things are made free and available, which has made people happy because they can listen to whatever music for free and even download for free. But mm -hmm. you got to understand there's hard work behind it and it's not really fair, right? There's as much as people ask you to do a job and you don't get your monthly salary at the end of it, right? This, this is the same. And what I'm not finding a value to it is just something doesn't have an artistic value at all. And yeah. based on what being valued, right? Because it's a dark market. It's like anyone can mm -hmm. drop a number. If you get the pile of monies, you don't know what to do with it. Okay, I'm gonna bid on on that pictures, right? Pixel picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we get then you get into the rabbit hole of you know art is subjective and always will be subjective, and you get into that rabbit hole of value over of everyone's preference, and it's an interesting one for sure. It, it, the same like the one the banana that been sticked on the wall, right? Yeah, which is yeah. of an artistic value, and then the guy walk into the gallery just pick it up and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so that's very interesting. All right. So my last one is a segment that I do with my guests. It's called quick. So I will, I will drop a statement and then you kind of rate them based on your opinion. It's not like the market opinion, but just your, you know, personal opinion, whether they underrated, properly rated, or they overrated. And then you can comment on some of them, you know, cite examples or bring some experience around it. Um, so the first one in, in my list is a giant room, small, mid-sized business. 
properly rated. Okay. If you're talking about, yeah, yeah, I guess. So, so there is a benefit out of it because I, I was in one sitting and it was like a fly in the wall and he couldn't understand anything what they're saying. And it says like, is that gives any work at the end? And then they showed me how amazing the maps that they draw of all of the, you know, minimal via product and all of these things, which is way, way more technical for me. Yeah. yeah. But I kind of, I got it. I got the value out of it. Yeah. I think, for, again, it would be more technical for me, but I think I'm, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for collaboration. I think anytime people can, you know, do that and, and work through that process, I think something good will come of it somehow. So. Okay. Process standardizations. And let me be more specific in this one. I think that's kind of broad, but process standardizations in the shared service center. Underrated. I think it's key. And, and do you believe, and, and this might curiosity, because people sometimes think about, okay, digital transformation can deliver what we wanted. They, they think it's the highway to that, that goal that they've got in mind in terms of efficiency, productivity, mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. have you. But they forget about, because you know why? Because the digital transformation will be done by somebody else, not entirely the business. Oh, this is kind of perceptions. Mm -hmm. But then they face the reality when you guys come in like Ross and say, oh, there's hundred ver version of our solution be developed and each one of them because your process is not standardized, I think, right? Yeah, I think this is it, right? I think, I say, I say it's underrated because I think what we're seeing in shared service centers, I think if the process can be more standardized, you can offer more unique value inside of that using solutions, not just us, but there's plenty of others that offer different value. But I think if you can kind of get the, the framework in place and that can help, that helps your employees, right? That helps the organization and the organism work. What happens inside that is then additional value. So yeah, I think it's underrated from what I've seen, but then honestly, I'm no expert in this space. <laughs> Okay. Um, so investment in technology and shared service center again. Yeah, I think I, everybody knows this is a key, a key topic. If I say it's underrated, I think that's unfair. I think it's properly rated. I think everybody knows the importance. But is it, is it all the time for what they've heard? Because all the time they look the business looked at the, there's kind of a little disconnect between the businesses and shared service center, although that's really key for them. But the decision of investing in technology is not all the time being held in a shared service centers or other in the group. Mm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is where the, I think this is where um comes back, I think, again to communication over different departments and different yeah. things, right? They need to bridge that gap often between shared services and the business. They both need to understand the they have a common pain there usually. They're yes. measured in slightly different ways. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting struggle, one we're trying to work on, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Last one on my list is customer centricity KPI. Oh, KPI? So <laughs> Sounds rigid question. a bit, right? So it's tough like KPI. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's an interesting one. I think that customer centricity as a whole is is underrated to appropriately rated. I think I don't agree with the whole customer is king thing. I just think it's about focusing your value and solution on, on the customer and their key niche. I think the KPI point of it and how you measure this is, is really interesting. Obviously we have ways we measure our internal successes and our company's successes, but how you measure how you're helping another company comes in a lot of different forms. You know, it could be cash flow, it could be you know performance optimization, it could be all these things, but also you could just be helping your day-to-day -day, you know, customer with their job. And that's improving quality of life and content with contentment with the job. Maybe they stay at that company another couple of years. So KPIs are an interesting one. Everyone will measure it differently. Um, 
maybe I'm a romantic with this, Ben, and I just I want to help people improve their lives, I guess. <laughs> but you know, but but do you see the KPIs as the the, the byproduct, but it's not really the the main goal, like to measure, but just to have that to. You know, if your customer is happy, they will be happy. And then if they're not happy, then KPIs will help you kind of get understand why they're not happy, right? It's not the, way, the other way around, right? It's not You will not find your customer's happiness through your KPIs, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think it's um, it's an indicator, right? That's, that's what it is. So you have to take note of it and, and keep an eye on it. But I think, as you mentioned, it should be a healthy byproduct of deriving good value to your customers. Exactly. All right, Ali, thanks a lot. Pleasure talking to you and uh, hope to talk to you again and or see you on different podcasts as well. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. It's been uh, a great first experience and uh, hopefully more to come. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.